Welcome elk to Tamriel Adventures, a show that brings you information from all across the far reaches of Tamriel. I'm your host, Eric, aka Sulior, and who boy, um, this is going to be a big one. So today we are going to be talking about Mayroon's Dagon, and this is a Daedric Prince that is still very much involved in the events that are going on these days like the ESO update that just recently happened for PC, at least, with the Deadlands expansion. But for now, we're just going to talk about what he has done up until then. So we do have quite a bit of news to get to. Let's go ahead and get to it. So I mentioned the Deadlands update, and that is now live for you lucky people who play on PC. Unfortunately, with people who play on console, like myself, we have to wait until the November 16th, but it is what it is. They always uh, update the PC first. If you are not lucky enough to have that update yet, there are some previews that you can get on the Elder Scrolls Online website, whether it's character profiles or information about the story or the map for the Deadlands, so definitely go check that out if you're interested. I hope you got to take part in the Witches Festival. I'll be talking about that a little bit when I get to my gameplay, but yeah, I really enjoyed that. That's always fun to take part in that every year. I mentioned the Deadlands DLC drop. There are some more things that are coming along with that update. If you don't have it already, uh, there's going to be an armory system that you can get in the crown store, which is pretty cool. Um, you can just display some of the armors you have on hand. So what you would do is you would equip a build from one of the armor. You can equip the builds from the armory slots, which is pretty cool. So uh, this is for people who mainly switch between PvP and PvE. So you can have your PvE or PvP um, armors on display. So you can quickly switch in between them. And you can rename them and things like that it's it's pretty handy i know a lot of mmos have that um that have the pvp and pve um campaigns i myself don't get involved in pvp very often unless i'm doing like uh, battlegrounds with the hive guild which is fun um i do recommend that but straight up pvp like dueling i don't typically do so let's see what else we got here. So update 32 also features a major change to the way you gain and collect item sets. Uh, so when you're adventuring in Tamriel, um, curated item set drops, um, they're designed to help you loot specific items the way you want, allowing more quickly um, you complete your item set collections for your builds. So. With update 32, in most cases when an item set drops from a monster, the system will try to give you something that you don't already own, which, thank God, um, I can't tell you how many times I've found the same weapon or armor piece, and it's like, okay, um, how about something new? So that is definitely a welcome change. Uh, so you can also collect and customize items at will with these uh, new armory and curated item set drops. So 
that yeah that sounds like some pretty good changes to the system so definitely definitely welcome there was a recent video highlighting the four free items that you get with the create the uh, skyrim anniversary edition with the creation club content so they highlighted like i said they highlighted four different things so there's the saints and seducers uh creation club mod so there's a lot of armors and weapons that come from earlier games like marwin they're really highlighting the ordinator armor um which is definitely cool so as part of the saints and seducers there's the rare curious creation which brings additional goods so like i said and so you can get these from the kajidi caravans so they also highlighted survival mode which i don't normally do survival mode um, i'm not a masochist like that but I know there are a lot of people who do enjoy things like that. So basically the, the gist of it is you have to protect yourself from the environment. So if you're in particularly cold and snowy areas, you've got to dress warmly. Um, you have to eat and drink and sleep to survive, things like that. Um, there's also fishing, which is what they've really been hammering into all of the news. Yeah, you can go fishing in Skyrim. And I'm like, well, you can just swim and catch the damn fish. But I guess there are achievements that you can get with these. And you can also, of course, use them when you're cooking, which goes along with the hunger and thirst aspect of survival mode. So I guess that's kind of cool. Um... Plus, I guess if you work for it more, you appreciate it more. I don't know. Um, let's see what else we got here. I forgot to mention that the Saints and Seducers uh, bundle also comes with two quests that go along with these armor and weapon sets. So there is story that they're adding to the Anniversary Edition for free. So this all comes out on 11-11-21, the 10th anniversary of Skyrim. And unfortunately, I've been trying to see if there's a way to pre-order the upgrade, but it doesn't look like that is the case, um, which is kind of a shame because I, I really want to just go ahead and jump in and get the upgrade. Because it, it's free, like the, the four... Uh, items that they're giving away for free um, these are for people who have the special edition so you have to have the special edition to be able to get the anniversary or you can just buy the anniversary edition but if you already have the special edition these four items are free and then you can purchase the upgrade for the rest of the creation club content and some of these are brand new so I'm really excited to see this yes it you know they're making you pay for another version of Skyrim but not not really if you already have it it's just added content which I'm okay with it's it's just that much more to enjoy so all right next up in the news uh, this is kind of old at this point but you know here it is so they released a little bit more information with the Starfield so they've talked about the settled systems so 
this is kind of cool. So, basically, you know, the, it's talking about the two largest factions in the game. There's the United Colonies and the Free Star Collective. So, there's also the Pirates of the Crimson Fleet. So, to the intrepid explorers of the constellation with whom you will begin your journey in Starfield. So, there's a video. Um, I'm definitely posting all of this in the show notes. So, definitely, definitely check it out if you're interested. So, next up in the news, there's an interview with Rich Lambert. And he's talking a little bit more about the Deadlands DLC along with you know, companions and oblivion in general. So, like I said, I'm, I'm definitely going to post this in the show notes, but it's just kind of a quick preview of what's to come. If it's if you don't play on PC, I guess if you do play on PC, then I hope you're enjoying it. So, I definitely love hearing this kind of thing. So, there you go. Alright, so next up in the news is there is a Skyrim board game that is going to be coming out. And it's kind of a prequel to the game. And I'm not sure how I feel about this. Because one of the, the greatest things about these games is that you can come up with your own backstory. So... Pretty much all of these games, you're either start in a dungeon or you start out in prison in some way, shape, or form, whether you're actually in a cell or you're going to get your head chopped off or you're on a ship. You're a prisoner and you're on a ship, but you're being sent on a, sent on a mission, like with Morrowind. So it says here, before the Dragonborn came to Skyrim, you are the surviving members of the Blades, a legendary group who long protected the Emperor empire of tamriel abandoned by the empire you must work together to thwart a plot which threatens the whole of skyrim so there's a video um with this article that's a, a trailer for it and like i said i'm not sure how i feel about the fact that they're giving the dragonborn a backstory if that is indeed what they're doing here because it's role-playing you know, you, you kind of, one of the most fun things about these games is you can kind of come up with your own backstory. And you can play to that character that you're creating. So, I don't know. So, it says here the game comes out in 2022. It doesn't say what part of 2022. But, yeah, it just says 2022 here, which we're almost into. Okay, I'm sorry. So, if... This game is being funded by crowdfunding, and early backers of Skyrim the Adventure Game will receive their copies in August of 2022. So, yeah, we're quite a, quite a ways away out, but, you know, it'll be here before you know it. I mean, this year's just kind of gone by in the blink of an eye, at least in my opinion. So, here's another um, article here about something that's going on today. So, if you go to Bethesda's Twitch page, uh, twitch.tv slash Bethesda Games, I believe. Actually, you know what? 
I'm going to let you listen to the voice actor for Shea Glorath here. No, and it is I. Oh, it's you, and it is I, Shea Glorath, Daedric Prince of Madness, to tell you that this Thursday, that's right, November 4th, at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we're getting together to help celebrate the 10th anniversary of Skyrim coming up. Oh. 11, 11, 21. Great things will happen. But on Thursday, we're getting together with all the voice actors. Jeff Baker, Craig Seckler, Paul Edding, Charles Martinet, Colleen Delaney, Alexander Brandon. We'll all be getting together to discuss Skyrim and how we recorded it all those so many years ago. Even that fellow Wes Johnson will be there. And he's crazy. So I hope to see you. You want to go to twitch.tv slash Bethesda. We're going to be raising money for the Alzheimer's Association. So, do some good. Have some fun. And join us there, or I'll skip rope with your entrails! <laughs> so there you go. Um, it's a great cause. Definitely go check it out. I'm sure every single one of you guys and me myself also has had family that has been affected by Alzheimer's. So definitely check it out if I mean by you may have you know by the time you listen to this it may have happened already. But um, you can definitely go to the Twitch page twitch.tv slash Bethesda as Shea Gorath there said um, and check out the video once it's posted if uh, you're listening to this after the fact. So I think it's usually up for about two weeks. So there you go. Um, definitely check that out. And I love Wes Johnson. I follow him on, you know, everything. Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. He's, he's great fun. So next up in the news, I don't know if I've talked about this on this show, but I think I talked about it on Nintendo also. Um, the creator of Stardew Valley is working on a game about a chocolate shop. And it's called Haunted Chocolatier. And, you know, it looks a lot like Stardew Valley, but from what they said, it's not Stardew Valley. So they're not copying and pasting the game, even though it kind of looks like it from the screenshots that I've seen, but they're doing something different with it. So he he's hard at work on this game, and he says if it never gets to where he wants it, he's just not going to release it, but he has the complete vision for the game in his head. It's just a matter of grinding it out, which is what he's doing every day. And I can't wait to see it. If it's anything like Stardew Valley, then I'm all for it. But, I mean, I guess we'll just hope for the best and hopefully it is to his liking, you know, and how he wants it to be. So, but, I mean, just the fact that they've mentioned it in a few articles, that's a good sign. So, I'm really crossing my fingers that we'll get it soon. Or whenever. I mean... He just needs to take his time on it. I'm not one of those that's like, oh my god, we'd have to have this right now. But, yeah, I'm anxious to see what it is. And from what the pictures show, it looks pretty awesome. So there you go. 
Anyway, that is it for the news. Let's get into my gameplay here. So, I definitely played some ESO. So, unfortunately, my free trial of the uh, subscriptions or ESO Plus is gone. But I did work a little bit on the uh, Worsinium DLC. I, I kind of stopped with the Thieves Guild. It's just, uh, I mean, I, I, I love working with Thieves Guild stuff, but it's not the easiest. Um, if you know anything about my gameplay, I don't like sneaking around very much. It's hard for me to do. Sorry, I needed to take a sip of my coffee there. I hate sneaking around. Well, I, I mean, I wouldn't say I hate sneaking around, but it's not my favorite type of gameplay. I'd rather just, you know, if I'm as strong as what they make me out to be, I'd want to just come in and bust heads and leave. But it's not what you do at the Thieves Guild. You got to make sure you don't get caught. You got to you know, go in, slip, you know, steal whatever it is. Anyway, um, yeah, so I, I, I kind of stopped with that, but I did work on the Orsinium DLC a little bit before my trial ended. So that was still going on, I think, with the last episode. So I did what I could. I completed the Dragon Guard DLC, which is pretty cool. I talked about that on the last one. But... I did do some witches festival stuff, so that was a lot of fun. Basically, you go around and you kill world bosses, you complete dungeon delves, and you get these skulls. And these skulls will have crafting motifs, they have recipes, they have writs that they want you to do, whether it's make a bowl, like a specific style of bowl, or craft quote-unquote peeled eyeballs with the provisionary writs, things like that. It, it's fun. And then you get these rewards. Like I said, a lot of them are weapon and, and uh, armor uh, crafting style motifs. Um, I think there was a mount, which I wasn't able to do. But yeah, you just you go to whatever zone you want to go to and then just take on world bosses, do the solo, like the dungeon delves like I mentioned and get rewards. It was a lot of fun. Unfortunately, it's over now. I think it ended on the second. But yeah, it. I know it's a lot of people's favorite, you know, event of the year. So it was pretty fun. I, I do remember doing some stuff with it in previous years, but not a ton. Um, there was also a mission that I had to do where it's like it wanted me to collect a bunch of like raven feathers or crow feathers i can't remember like a bunch of black feathers and i wasn't able to complete that one but yeah uh definitely looking forward to next year and seeing what they do with it um other than eso uh let's see what i've, what I've been playing uh, i've been playing ocarina of time but i'll talk about that on nintendo um, definitely check that out if you haven't checked out the latest episode. I did a skit where I was Freddy Krueger, and it was pretty fun. Um, so not only do I do skits on this show, I once in a while do skits on Nintendo, not nearly as often. But Freddy Krueger is something that I've done pretty much every Halloween on that show, and this year in particular, it was it was pretty cool. 
definitely check it out. Um, let's see, what else have I been playing other than ESO? Um, well, definitely Fallout 76. Um, getting pretty far in the board. I think I'm like level 85 or 86 on the scoreboard. Um, Halloween was fun with that. Trick-or-treating at people's camps. Spooky Scorch. That's still going on until next week, by the way. So, yeah, definitely getting in playing that. And I've been playing a lot of Mass Effect. So, I think I mentioned on the last episode that I picked up the Legendary Edition because it was on sale for like 45% off. And I completed the original version of uh, Mass Effect 1 not too long ago and I was still working on number 2. I didn't get super far, but I was working on collecting the rest of your crew and I just, just you know, got Grunt out of his tank, the big uh, Krogan. But then I picked up the Legendary Edition. I did not expect to be picking it up anytime soon because it was still full priced. And so I'm like, you know what? I can just work on the original version. It's fine. Which it was. Um, I definitely had a lot of fun uh, beating the original version of Mass Effect 1. But um, yeah, I've been playing through the games again. I created a different character. Um, I think that when I played the original version, I was a soldier, and I just went with the default design for the male shepherd, which was fine, uh, but I thought I'd do something a little bit different with this one, um, so I went, I think, Infiltrator with this character, and I made it, and instead of being Earthborn, I think, like I did the last time, I went Spacer with the backstory. Because um, you can kind of do that a little bit. You can pick your backstory, you can pick what class you are, things like that. <clears throat> and yeah, um, I did things a little bit differently this time. So I've kind of, um, one of my podcast friends is Taylor from the Element Zero podcast, who uh, the Element Zero podcast is about Mass Effect. So he and I have been chatting a little bit. I've been talking with him about the changes that I've noticed going from the original version to the um, Legendary Edition. Because he knows these games backwards and forwards. He's played them through so many times, I don't even know if there's anything he hasn't done. And not just the original games, but Andromeda also. And I am looking forward to an Andromeda episode uh, Taylor, um, if I'm sure you're listening to this. I haven't played Andromeda yet, but I do have it on Game Pass. So, just the fact that I have beaten this game not just once, but twice, like the original game, says a lot. Because there are quite a few games where I've never even beaten once. I've gotten pretty damn far and then just stop. But I have beaten Mass Effect 1, not just once, but twice. So, um, like I said, I did things a little bit differently um, with this playthrough of one where on Vermeer, I, in the original playthrough, I sent Ashley to the bomb and I sent Caden to help the Solarian captain. I am forgetting his name. Uh, it starts with a K. 
And this time I sent Ashley to help him and Caden to the bomb. And just, I mean, I, I saved Ashley. I can't remember what he said he did uh, or what he normally does because he's played this game I don't know how many times. So um, I did notice, I complained about the side planets, about how they're just boring. I, I mean, not boring because there's stuff to do but only in certain spots. But the landscape of them is pretty... It uh, just wasn't really there. Like, it wasn't really interesting until you get to these specific spots. They definitely updated it to make it a little more vibrant, even if they're, you know, just basic planet surfaces. Um, I did some side quests that I hadn't done last time um, with this playthrough and I'm, I didn't go with the generic default shepherd look I customized him a little bit and like I said I changed his class but I really appreciate the update they made to combat so he's mentioned this on his show the gunplay feels different like, you, you pick a different type of an assault rifle, and it feels different. Like, the firing is different. Um, but just being, like, switching weapons was a lot more fluid, too. So, I am working on Mass Effect 2 of the Legendary Edition at this point. So, yeah, I'm a few hours in, not terribly far. I'm on Citadel. So, I'm running around there. Anyway, um, that is it as far as my gameplay. Let's uh, switch over to the main segment here. Here we go. Alright guys, let's talk Mayrune's Dagon. And I'm going to try and make it to where this episode is not a four-hour episode. Um, unless you want that in the future. And if so, let me know. So, like I said, I'm going to talk everything up into the Deadlands DLC. <clears throat> but it'll probably talk about a, a little bit about what's going on in the uh, Gates of Oblivion story arc. So... Mayrun's Dagon, there's a lot here. He's been involved in several of the games. But he is known as the Black Daedra Lord, the Prince of Destruction, the Lord of Blood and Flames, the Prince of Ambition, the Prince of Disaster, the Master of Razors, Mayrun's the Razor, Mayrun's the Thief Taker, Mayrun's the... Mayrun's God's Body, Mayrun's the Red Arms that went up. Uh, okay, I'm not sure. I'd like to know where that name came from. The Horror, which makes sense. The Sovereign of Destruction, the Flame Tyrant, the Father of Cataclysm, the Flame Father, and known to the Khajiiti as Mayrun's. M E R R U N Z. He is the Daedric Prince of Destruction, whose sphere encompasses destruction, change, which isn't really um, something that gets, you know, emphasized very much, but with destruction does come change. So it makes sense. Uh, sorry. So change, revolution, energy, and ambition. 
Dagon is associated with natural disasters like fires and earthquakes, flash floods and thunderstorms and other national disasters. Uh, sorry, natural disasters, not national, which I guess some of them are national. Um, natural disasters that have been linked to communions between him and his cultists. The prince is also said to be the author of the Mysterium Xerxes, which we are definitely going to be talking about here in a little bit. Mehrun's Dagon has an insatiable, insatiable hunger for destruction. And while they are not his biological spawn, Dagon considers Zvali um, Moatha and Phaedra Shardi as his adopted children. There is the belief that Mehrun's Dagon is also aligned with Hircine, though Lyrinth the Fool Killer, who is a friendly Dramora that you encounter in ESO, uh, she claims that if such an arrangement exists, it would be obscure outside their own circle. Enemies of the Prince of Destruction including include Ebonarm, which we've talked about in other episodes, and Molagball, with whom Dagon shares a bitter rivalry, which is funny because they kind of both act similar. I don't know. Um, but I mean, Molagball is more about a, you know domination than just straight up destruction. But we'll talk about him in a little bit. Um, very soon, in fact. But I guess maybe it's one of those situations where they're so similar that they're like, okay, you suck. I do what you do better than you do. I don't know. Um, but both of them have been known to meddle in each other's schemes when the opportunity arises. It's also rumored that the prince hates Nocturnal. Dagon's protonymic is Lekathak? Lekathak? Lekel Goch, I don't know how you pronounce that, L-E-H-K-E-L-O-G-A-H. Lekelga, I think is the best pronunciation I can think of for that word. Uh, but that's his protonymic, and his nunimic is, I'm not even going to try and pronounce that, uh, yeah, there's no way. Um, it looks very... Yeah, I, I don't know how anybody could pronounce that. Anyway, um, the day you would summon da Mehrun's Dagon coincides with the Warriors Festival, which is the 20th of Sun's Dusk. So here's an excerpt from the Mysterium Xarxes. It says, When I walk the earth again, the faithful among you shall receive your reward, to be set above all other mortals forever. As for the rest, the weak shall be winnowed, and timid shall be cast down. The mighty shall tremble at my feet and pray for pardon. So, little is known of the contents of the Mysterium Xarxes outside of the alleged translations given to Mankar Cameron's commentaries on the Mysterium Xarxes. So, you may recognize the Mysterium Xarxes, or I'm sorry, the commentaries from the Mysterium Xarxes from Skyrim. Um, if you do Mehrun's Dagon's quest line, in his side quest in Skyrim, there's the guy who is a descendant of the mythic Dawn, who has this museum in Dawnstar, and one of the things he has is the four volumes of the commentaries of Mysterium Xarxes. Well, a lot of the stuff that you see in that museum has to do with stuff that actually took place in Oblivion, including the four volumes of the Mysterium Xarxes. There's 
the commentaries in this of the Mysterium Xerxes. There's an entire quest in the main uh, quest line where you have to get all four copies, and these help you find the shrine for Mayrun's Dagon, where you actually, you know, basically take on the Mythic Dawn. And the whole thing is you're trying to uh, reclaim the Amulet of Kings, which was stolen from uh, the dead Emperor's body. But, uh, yeah, they're very hard to get a copy of. Like, the first two you can buy at a bookstore, but volumes three and four have to come from an actual member of the Mythic Dawn. So, yeah, they're not easy to get a hold of. So, the commentaries were known to be used in the Third Era uh, to surreptitiously, surreptitiously, I, I think is how you pronounce that, recruit members into Dagon's Cult of Mythic Dawn, which I mentioned earlier. And they also continue contain a peculiar account of the prince's origins. So, according to the commentaries, the Magna Ghi secretly created Mayrun's Dagon in the very bowels of Lig. So Lig is claimed as an adjacent place, or sort of parallel version of Tamriel. And the d domain of the deity is known as the upstart who vanishes. Lig, the Madex Terrain, was also ruled by Drug kings. Uh, Drug are nasty. So, um, yeah, you see them in a few games. Um, so... The Druid King from the 19 to 19 and 9 and 9 seas, who waged endless wars against each other, each other's slave oceans. So Dagon was created to be a prince of good and was imbued with him Oblivion's most precious asset, hope. Uh, okay, uh, something went wrong there. So the prince began a revolution and threw down League and cracked his face and he let the lowly slaves know free will. And he stirred them to violence against their masters. So I guess that kind of goes along with hope. Uh, these people were slaves and now they can challenge their slave masters. So his red legion overthrew the tyrant Drugs and toppled the towers of Chimel and Chimel... Garig, I think it's a Garig. So he destroyed great cities and slaughtered the Templars to, to sorry, the Templars of the Upstart. Hope spread like a brush fire as the world was set free. Regardless of the veracity of this account, the tome played a role in the assassination of Uriel Septim and his heirs and started the Oblivion Crisis. So, yeah, the that. We'll get into that. So, most cultures, Mayrin's Dagon is little more than a god of bloodshed and betrayal, which is pretty accurate. Uh, Dagon revels in destruction on a grand scale, from mass murder to deaths resulting in floods and from resulting from floods and earthquakes. He leaves a swath of devastation whenever he manifests. In fact, even attempting to summon the prince is frequently fatal for the conjurer and any bystander. Trafficking with Dagon or his cultists is abhorred by most of Tamriel and is outright in illegal in most places where the punishment can be as severe as death. 
Uh, yeah, you summon the Daedric Prince of Destruction. Yeah, I can see that being punishable by death. So, he has a vested interest in showing flagrant displays of power to attract his followers to his various cults and assert his influence on Nern. He is especially important in Deity in Morrowind, where he is the second of the four corners of the House of Troubles. Worshippers of Dagon tend to be arsonists, setting buildings, animals, and even people on fire. Signs of cultist activity include unusual tremors, an uncharacteristic lack of rain, and the sudden onset of unseasonably heavy rain as they attempt to incite national, natural disasters. I don't know why I keep trying to say national disasters, but I guess they kind of kind of makes sense. Those who worship the prince tend to bear the symbol of a fiery rising sun. So that is actually used as the mythic dawn symbol also. Dawn is breaking. Greet the new day. Dagon's cults tend to plan deep, long, burgeoning conspiracies. So let's talk about uh, how different cultures view him. So... Let's talk about the Argonians first. So there's the Sulzan tribe that consists of Naga worshippers of chaos and death. They see Mehran's Dagon as the true egg child of Sithis, the void. I guess that makes sense. As Dagonites, their view of Argonian religion is one-sided, as they embrace only the darkest, cruelest beliefs and scorn the rest as weakness. They sacrifice outsiders of, uh, and other Argonians alike in hopes of one day summoning their war to bring blood and destruction across Black Marsh. So, I guess the the um, Shadow Scale Argonians, the ones who are born to, or I guess not born, but hatched on a certain day that become Dark Brotherhood members, maybe they also worship Dagon. Um, used to say it'd be interesting if they expanded on that though so let's talk about the Dunmer so in Morrowind Mehrunes Dagon is the god of destruction and the king of blood it is said that when he when the prophet Veoth led the Chimer to Resdane which is now Morrowind they were joined by a number of Daedric ancestral spirits and among them was Mehrunes Dagon at first these Daedra lords were worshipped as gods, but when the tribunal came into power in the early first era, which uh, we did a three-part series on the tribunal, definitely go check that out if you haven't already, the Daedra were venerated as lesser spirits, subservient to the Almsivi, which the Almsivi is another word for the tribunal, so, or tribunal. However, not content with this shift in power, Mal- Malkath, Molochbal, Sheogorath, and Dagon rebelled against the now temple, or the new temple, which caused us great strife with the great houses. At some point, we need to do an episode or two about the great houses of Morrowind. These rebel Daedra, or bad Daedra, became the four corners of the House of Troubles, who tempted the Dunmer away from the Orthodoxy. Nevertheless, the Dunmer consider these four to be holy in that they serve as testing gods who must be appeased. Dagon represents Marwyn's near inhospitable terrain. Also, tests the Dunmeri will to survive and prosper, live and prosper. So, 
According to legend, Mayrun Stagon once threatened to heave a large rock at the Dunmer of Maragon. Vivek outwitted the prince, taunting Dagon and making himself the rock's target. The rock itself was enshrined there and became known as the Magic Rock of Maragon, and it became a pilgrimage site. Pilgrims would have to recreate the situation during the pilgrimage. There's a Dramora named Ahedra, Anhedra, and he was bound by Vivek to fill Dagon's role, and he would have to endure taunts from pilgrims, pilgrims to try and harm them while they were protected by a powerful blessing. I think I remember doing that, and I talked about that before. So you go to some of these shrines, and there will be a Dramora there, and you can just keep taunting them until he attacks you, and then you get... Uh, when you kill them, you get Dater Hearts, and they can be used for uh, sacrifices. So... Another legend involves a duel between Vivek and uh, Mayron Stagon, and the latter of whom was unharmed. Sorry, unarmed, not unharmed. Rather than dishonoring himself by fighting an unarmed opponent, Vivek offered Dagon his own long silver, sorry, his silver longsword. The princes Dramora were impressed by this honorable act of chivalry, and the temple claims that although they were enemies, the Dramora share a bond of respect and courtesy with the followers of the tribunal. As part of the pilgrimages of the Seven Graces, pilgrims seek to join the tribunal temple and they must visit the Shrine of Courtesy in Vivek City's Puzzle Canal. A Dramora named Krasat was bound there. Fulfilling the role of Vivek, the pilgrim must, then, must be courteous and offer a silver longsword to Krasat, who represents Magnurin Stagon. So that is the Dunmer. Let's talk about the Kashidi. So in the Kashidi pantheon, Magnurin Stagon is Meruz, also spelled... Uh, uh, with an H and not just M-E-R-R-U-N-Z. And he is called uh, Deegan, the fire cat and the demon cat, one of the children of Fatime, second litter. Merunz was given the name Jakajidi, kitten in Tagra, T-A-apostrophe-A-G-R-A, by his mother due to his wild and destructive nature. Similarly, the Khajiit often depict Meruns as a destructive kitten. According to, to, to the pre-Redata text at some point in time, Meruns was exiled by his father, Anur. Rather than journeying through the many paths of time, Meruns chose to venture into the Great Darkness. There he was defeated by the demon king Molag, uh, which is Molag Ball, and tortured until the world was created. Ultimately, Meruns was freed by Molag's wife, who used his destructive nature to attack the Lunar Latisse. Meruns enjoyed this and became the Kinslayer, and has since been known as the Demon Dagon. The duality of Khajiiti worship of the Fire Cat can be seen early on in elsewhere's history. During the Darlok Bray reign, Cultists of Maroons burned down the Great Archive in Corinth, and was, which contained the princes, uh, sorry, the provinces' records from the Merithic era. That sucks. However, despite his worship of the Prince of Destruction, the warlord went through many great lengths to preserve the remaining texts and hide them across elsewhere. He was placing them in smaller vaults and archives. Darlick Bray showcased an ambition much like 
Pomeranians conquering Anequita and surra- the surrounding territories, which some areas erected in Dagon's name. Dagon's name. So let's talk about the Reach folk here. So the Reach folk, uh, to the Reach folk, Marin's Dagon is a spirit of ambition and destruction, and is known as the Lord of Ambition. Life in the Reach is harsh, and its inhabitants always strive to improve. This drive to become greater eventually leads uh, some to turn to Dagon, which I can see that. So let's talk about the Mekvidon. We've talked about them a little bit here and there, but um, there's a picture of the banner here which shows a flaming rising sun, which I talked about earlier. So, the Mythic Dawn was once one of the most secretive and mysterious Daedra cults. Before gaining infamy due to its role in the Oblivion Crisis, the cult's beliefs were largely shaped by the teachings of Mangar Cameron and his commentaries on the Mysterium Xarxes. The name Mythic Dawn is a reference to the Dawn Era, the time before the creation of the world, and Cameron believed that his disciples were destined to rule over the over a reborn and liberated Tamriel, ushering the mythic dawn, ushering in a new dawn. I should mention that Mankar Cameron in Oblivion is voiced by Terrence Stamp, who you may know from the Superman movies as General Zod. He was also the voice of Jarrell in Smallville. He's been in a lot of movies. Uh, definitely look him up. Great actor. Alright, let's talk more about the Mythic Dawn here. So, central to the cult's, cult's beliefs is that the claim that the Divines are not gods, merely pretenders who have tricked mortals ever since they betrayed and attempted to destroy Lorcan. So, when you are running toward Magar Cameron, when you're in his paradise and you're seeking him out, he does talk a lot about this, about his beliefs that... Basically, we can become like the Daedra or the Adra. Like, we can become gods. They're, they're no different than us. And Tamriel is basically just another plane of oblivion. And we've been lied to all these years. He's trying to recruit you to his side. So you can either see this as, oh, he, okay, he's just trying to keep you from killing him. Or maybe he's telling the truth. Who knows? Um, yeah, there's a lot to that. So, um, so the cult believes that the Daedra are the true gods of the universe as they cannot die. Cameron also asserts that Lorcan is one of the Daedra and he offered this as to why the heart of Lorcan could not be destroyed. I thought I destroyed it in Morrowind, but anyway... Uh, furthermore, maybe it is like the Daedra where they go away for a bit, but they do come back. It, and how long is, who knows how long it could be. It could be days, it could be years, it could be another era, who knows. So furthermore, as a Daedric prince, Lorcan has his own plane of oblivion, which is Tamriel. And that's what Cameron was telling you when you're going to kill him. He tells you that... Tamriel is another plane of oblivion attributed to Lorcan. So Mayrun's Dagon undertook the oblivion crisis not to destroy Tamriel, but to liberate occupied lands from the Aedra. In Tamriel, the cult called their enemies uh, the Dragon's Blood, 
a reference to the covenant between Akatosh and Queen Alessia, which protected Nern from the forces of oblivion. So yeah, the Amulet of Kings um, is used to light the dragon fires, um, which are a barrier that protects Tamriel from the forces of oblivion. It keeps um, the oblivion forces from invading Tamriel. That's the whole plot of Oblivion, is that the people who light the dragon fires have to be a descendant of the Septim blood. And, or they have to, yeah, they have to be a dragonborn emperor, and only they can light the dragon fires. And so the last remaining dragonborn heir it, that they know of gets killed at the beginning. Yeah, it mentions here that the uh, that Manker Cameron had a long duel with the Septim dynasty dating back to the reign of Tiber Septim. So, which I guess is, it's speculated that that's when the commentaries were written. So, anyway, let's talk about Dagon's actions throughout the years. So, in ancient times, Dagon created a construct known as the Nefarigrim. Um, this is talking about uh, things that happened in the first era. And this structure was uh, a, a challenge. It was a challenge to those who drew near to undertake a trial. So one who passed the trial would be deemed worthy of wielding Maelun's razor. Located in Cyrodiil, the Nefarigum was uh, discovered by the ancient aliens who arrogantly believed that they could turn away any who sought the razor. To this end, they built the vast uh, ringed city of Varsa Balam. And during the height of the, they, this was built during the height of the alien civilization. For many years, the pilgrim came. The pilgrims came to Varsabalam seeking the razor, but the aliens turned them away. And one day, in the early years of the first era, a vampire infiltrated the city. Before long, the city was infested with undead and thrust into chaos. The city suddenly and mysteriously disappeared, and none knew what happened. But Barsabalum seemingly vanished into the mountains of the eastern Nibine Bay. So there is a side quest. This is actually a DLC for Oblivion that will give you the quest to get Mirren's Razor. So yeah, all the other Daedra quests are in the base game, but with Mirren's Razor, it was a DLC. So there you go. So, Merun's Dagon destroyed Ald Sotha, which is the home of the House Sotha. Uh, Sotha Sil, yeah. Sometime in the early First Era. A young Sotha Sil was, was the only known survivor of this incident, having been rescued by Vivek. In response to the destruction of the Gilverdale at the hands of Molagbal, Sothasil, now living god, sought out the eight of the most influential Daedric princes. <clears throat> Sorry, I needed to take another sip of my coffee there. Marin's Dagon was among these eight influential Daedric princes, and between the third and fifth of Rain's Hand in First Era 2920, which is a date that should stick out to you, because there's a book about it, <clears throat> a deal was made which would become known as the Cold Harbor Compact. Little was known about the compact, but it theorized that it seeks to prevent the princes from directly manifesting on Nerd, and it only permits them to commune with certain intermediaries, such as witches and sorcerers. 
2920, the Skeffington Coven of High Rock took exile, took in an exiled Dunmary woman named Churla, and she is the former lover of the Duke of Mournhold, Brindisi Dorum. However, after a trip to Wayrest, the Skeffington Coven massacred was massacred by an orchestrating party. Turla was falsely led to believe that the massacre was the work of assassins sent by Brindisi Dorum himself. Enraged, a witch called forth the Prince of Destruction to destroy Mournhold and slay her former lover, and he complied. During the carnage, Amalexia and Sothasil arrived to stop the prince, and during sorry, the battlefield was lit by a barrage of flame which fell indiscriminately. Amalexia plunged Hope's fire into Dagon's flesh and carved him from within. Meanwhile, Sothasil enacted enacting vengeance for Ald Sotha used a bronze used quote unquote god bronze whips to lash the prince into submission. Wounded Sil allegedly whispered Dagon's anemic and the prince exploded throughout all of time. The clockwork apostles believed that this battle between Maimon's Dagon and the Tribunal marked the birth of Sarmisanarsim ghoul things. Uh, I have no idea what that is. Uh, but these emerged from Dagon's own flayed skin. Indeed, the Runarchs, a formed arm, four-armed race of Daedra, are thought by some scholars and mages and even Runarchs themselves to have emerged from Dagon's flesh in the wake of the battle against Amalexia. So there's a picture here of the remains of a village on Kitsili Island, which I'm guessing is where all this was, Alt Sotha and all that. So let's talk about the pre-integrum. So at some point before the year Third Era 172, um, the Chimera Gagan, uh, a director, sorry, a Diarney, I think is how you pronounce this, a, a retainer and noted Daedra summer, summoner made a pact with Maron's Dagon and the conjurer deceived the prince tricking him into swearing an oath he had no intention of keeping Camry wore an armor of the, sa- the armor of the savior's hide which is Hircine's armor and it protected him from the blows of oath breakers as Dagon now was which gave Camry enough time to banish Dagon into oblivion by invoking the prince's Protonymic. However, Dagon still had enough time to strike back, and he was sucked into the void. The prince channeled his remaining power into a curse. As per the initial pact, Gregan uh, desired to live forever in his home and among the happy voices of his friends and countrymen. Dagon reinterpreted this request, literally dragging Chimera and the entirety of his home into of uh, Kassili into oblivion with him. Everyone else was instantly slain, and Chimera, still aging, and cursed, was cursed to live forever, surrounded by the voices of his friends. The plane where the island wound up became known as the Chimera of Des- Desolation, which you do see in Battlespire. Looks like it's got some screenshots here from Battlespire. So, uh, Lotus of Doom, uh, I'm sure you've encountered that at some point. So, there you go. Alright, let's talk about the second era. There's a lot here with the second era. So, um, 
A majority of the Gates of Oblivion story arc has to do with the ambitions. So um, let's talk about the ambitions here. So Durakorak um, allied himself with a Witchman Coven, the Tog Droluk. I think is how you pronounce that. Uh, with their help, the Dorkuk, uh, Dorkorak, it was and sub. He, he uh, subdued all of the rival clans through means involving Daedric bargains. By Second Era 528, he became the warlord, commanding 2,000 soldiers, which rose to 10,000 by Second Era 529. A deal was struck with Manrin's Dagon to have Dorkorak, I'm going to keep mispronouncing it, Dorkorak crowned. With his sorcerers performing countless tasks and wait for the day when the final part of the arrangement would be carried out, Dagon would claim his due with the four ambitions. After emperorship was passed to him, Morkar forged the ambitions, which were later entrusted over to his son, Leovic. Although the bargain was intended to maintain the Longhouse Emperor's grip over Tamriel long after Dekorak's death, I'm just going to pronounce it as Dekorak, Leovic's decision to legalize Daedra worship led to a rebellion, which ended in Duke Varen Aquilarius slaying Leovic in the Imperial Throne Room. You hear about this in the SO. Before his death, Leovic managed to hide the four ambitions across Tamriel, where they would be lost for a time. So there was an event that happened called the Soul Burst, uh, which happened in Second Era 579. So Maron's Dagon did not launch an invasion into Tamriel after this, but in Second Era 582, uh, he was displeased with the rise of tolerant Queen Iran and her first Aldmeri Dominion. Ken Lady Estray donned the role of the leader of the Aldmeri Dominion Separatists known as the Veiled Heritance. So the Veiled Heritance is kind of a f- it's kind of what became the uh, the Mythic Dawn. But so they're not exactly the Mythic Dawn, but they're kind of what leads to it. So um in her attempt, in her desperate attempt to impede the pass of Queen Iran and her troops to First Hold, she made a pact with Dagon. Estray summoned da- the Daedra from the Deadlands into Dawnbreak's abandoned mine. The Daedra set the town on fire and murdered its citizens until the First Arden Marines intervened and organized an evacuation. The Marines managed to stop the hordes from spreading across the area, and an Eye of the Queen, which is uh, Razumdar, came and defeated the Dremora that orchestrated the assault. Per her agreement with the Mayrin's Dagon, High Kins Lady Estray uh, unleashed more Daedra upon Torina, which is a holy site of the Eight Divines in she then moved her ultimate tar- onto her ultimate target, the city of First Hold. Here she was led into the city by its ruler, the High King Lord Reese the Eighth, or sorry, the Thirteenth, who remained oblivious to her true nature. Once inside, she opened the gates of across the city, allowing her Daedric armies to lay siege to the First Hold and kidnap the Kinslord. So. Um, 
I'm not gonna... I really don't think I'm gonna talk about the details of the Gates of Oblivion story arc. I'm gonna kind of give you some details. So basically, the whole point is, is this, like, in the second era, Dagon had been working on an invasion of Tamriel, which does turn into the Oblivion Crisis, but in the second era, he hadn't quite perfected his technique. So you do see Oblivion Gates, or what, you know, kind of like unsophisticated Oblivion Gates opening across the Blackwood area, but they're not quite as uh, streamlined. I guess is what the word is in uh, by the time of the third era. So the whole thing is is that he's trying to invade Tamriel, and you're trying to find these ambitions so you can turn the tide back against Mayrun's Dagon. So that's yeah, that's kind of the gist of it. I'm not going to get into the details of the storyline, but they're, you know, you're dealing with Lyrant, who, as I said earlier, is kind of a, a Dramora that is on your side. And you're also dealing with Evely Sharparrow, um, who you first see in the Orsinium DLC, and I was so glad to see her back. I love that character. She's so quirky and, I don't want to say innocent, but she does kind of have an innocent air about her. So, yeah, um, the story is still going on. Like I said, there's the uh, Deadlands DLC that either just came out if you're playing on PC or it's about to come out on console. Um, So I'm not going to, like I said, I'm not going to get into the details of the story. Definitely check it out, though, if you're interested. Um, I have completed the uh, Gates of Oblivion uh, main story and I need to finish the I can't wait to finish the Deadlands DLC the, there's always that last story DLC that they release there's plenty of dungeon DLCs and then they have at least one story DLC that kind of completes the story arc and that is what the Deadlands is for the Gates of Oblivion story Anyway, so uh, let's talk about the Third Era. So let's talk about Battlespire first. So um, after numerous failed attempts in the past, which include the events of ESO, Marin's Dagon succeeded in capturing the Battlespire, which the Battlespire is a tower that is kind of an academy for battle mages and it's a testing facility for people who want to join the imperial guard so this is um in ethereus so this is in a uh, sorry a slipstream realm deep in ethereus so yeah he's trying to take control of this battle spire and um it happens during the Imperial Simulacrum, uh, and Dagon had been such an instrumental uh, part in Jagar Tharn's imposture and assumption of the Imperial throne. So, yeah, uh, Jagar Tharn was kind of a, a servant of Dagon, also. So that 
also ties into the events of Arena. So in return for his assistance, Tharn gave the battle spire to the prince on the condition that Dagon eliminate Tharn's rival battle mages from within. So in Third Era 398, Dagon collected his prize, and the prince's forces led uh, by Imago Storm of Clan Dramora, uh, and he mustered the Havoc Wellhead, and then rampaged through the two other planes of oblivion. The uh, Shade Perilous of Nocturnal and the Soul Cairn before invading the Battle Spire itself. So Shade Perilous was home of two Daedra clans, the Lordless Seducers of the Nocturnals who had given him refuge. So the Nocturnals were imprisoned in their by in their own uh, demise as the Seducers will I think is how you pronounce it, Dim Demence, sorry, Demence, as the seducers were bent to Dagon's will. However, some seducers willingly entered his service, and these converts were remade in the image of Dagon's greed and treachery, making them more powerful and giving them wings. So these quote-unquote dark seducers joined the ranks of the invasion forces, and some of them were given Daedra Crescents to wield in battle. One dark seducer in particular became Maelin's Dagon's bodyguard and lover and entrusted and was entrusted by the prince with one of these artifacts the sword of the moon reaper which we'll talk about in a minute once the battle spire was taken the weir gate the which was a portal of samriel was sealed with dagon's own personal warding sigil unaware of these events a pair of apprentice battle mages the shadow legion experience entered the battle spire after it had fallen and one apprentice went ahead leaving behind notes and helpful items but he was ultimately captured by the Daedra and brought to Dagon's hunting lodge before the prince himself. Yay. Um, so, <laughs> that must have sucked. The other apprentice went in search of the first and for a way back to Tamriel. And by fighting through, bluffing past, and making deals with various forces, uh, Daedric and otherwise, along the way. So, um, I'm not going to suggest you play Battle Spire. Um, from what I've seen from Lotus of Doom's streams, it's rough. Um, I, I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. If you are interested in playing Battle Spire, you can find it on uh, GOG. G-O-G. Um, so, yeah, I think you can get, get it for like five bucks. I myself have not played this, but like I said, it's it's rough. Um, there is a picture here of Mayrun's Dagon from Battlespire. Um, but yeah, if you are interested in at least seeing what it looks like, uh, check out Lotus of Doom's streams. He's streamed it quite a bit, and he... Um, I, like I said, I'm not a masochist like this. Uh, it's rough. We talked about it a little bit on the show when he was on... Um, <laughs> There's so many bugs. You think uh, Bethesda's games are buggy now? Check out Battlespire. They've come a long way. Um, constantly enemies falling through the floor and still being able to attack you. Things like that. It, it's it, it's just funny sitting there watching him cuss about it the entire time. So uh, let's talk about the or let's talk about the fifth century. This is the uh, events of Daggerfall here. 
so Marin's Dagon was not gone long. Um, so yeah, there, there are the events of Arena, which I talked about a little bit. So let's talk about Daggerfall. Um, sometime around 3rd era 405, he was summoned by an agent of the Blades in the Iliac region. Um, the prince offered an agent of power in exchange for killing a wayward Frost Daedra in a nearby dungeon. So you go do that, and then the... Then you get rewarded with Mayrun's Razor. So, yeah, there you go. One of the first appearances of Mayrun's Razor. So, in 3rd Era 427, which is the events of Morrowind, the Nerevarine visited Mayrun's Dagon Shrine off the coast of Vardenfell and summoned the prince. As a test of worthiness, Dagon sent the hero after his Razor, which had been stolen by an quote-unquote unworthy elf, and lost in a tomb. So you re- retrieved the artifact and was allowed to keep it. So this restores uh, Dagon to his former glory. And yeah, he rewards you with the razor for that. So, all right, we've talked about it quite a bit, but yeah, let's let's talk about the Oblivion Crisis. So I mentioned in during the events of ESO, um, Dagon hadn't perfected his technique of opening oblivion gates but by the time of you know the events of oblivion he certainly had so this happens in third era 433 so yeah this is basically the entire plot of oblivion the entire uh, point of the game of oblivion is to prevent dagon's invasion of Tamriel through these Oblivion Gates. So, the Mythic Dawn um, murders the Emperor and all of his known heirs. So, as far as they know, the Septim bloodline is done. You know, and you had to have an heir to the Septim throne to keep the Dragonfires lit. So they kill the Emperor, who is voiced by Patrick Stewart, and steal the Amulet of Kings, which, for what everybody knows, is just a piece of jewelry. They didn't know what exactly it was. So the Amulet of Kings is a... Um, we've talked about it in the Akatosh episode, but it's a an artifact of akatosh which is used to light the dragon fires and you know keep this ward up from you know that protects against invasions from different planes of oblivion but the dragon fires are gone and you are sent to find the only other remaining heir to Uriel Septim VII, which is Martin, who is a bastard child, and he didn't know—he didn't even know who he was. He didn't realize he was the heir to the throne of Tamriel. So, it's such a great story because you see Martin go from this p- disgraced priest maybe he's not really disgraced but he used to get involved in daedric magic we talked about this in the septum dynasty episode but he used to dabble in daedric magic he used to you know dabble in daedric worship 
and he turned away from that and became a priest of Akatosh. And he had no idea how to be a leader. He never wanted to be a leader. And you see him go from being this timid guy who can barely talk to giving these great speeches, you know, to the armies of Tamriel, or to the armies of Cyrodiil. And he ultimately, you ultimately stop him um, in the Imperial City. You, You stop Dagon. It's this great battle. There's a picture of it here. Because Dagon actually does manifest in the Imperial City. You can actually walk up to him. I think there's a way to kill him. But I've never done it. But he actually... You do see him walking around, stomping around the Imperial City. And then you see this great battle between Dagon and Akatosh. It's really cool to see. So uh, definitely check it out. You can get Oblivion free if you've got Game Pass. So that is... uh, And you're constantly going into different pockets of the Deadlands and Oblivion. So um, not only can you see the Deadlands in ESO, but you can also see quite a bit of it in the game Oblivion. So, that is Oblivion um, in a nutshell, really. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I've played Oblivion through I don't know how many times. It's it's such a great game. Um, maybe slightly dated to people who are used to Skyrim, like you can't sprint. Um, magic is a little bit different, but it's definitely worth checking out. So, I talked about... Um, Skyrim a little bit with the Mythic Dawn where there is a descendant of a Mythic Dawn member who is in Dawnstar and he has a shop like a like a not a shop but a museum of Mythic Dawn artifacts but that has to do with Mehrun Stegon's quest in Skyrim so um yeah he he wants you to collect the different pieces he wants you to find Mehrun's razor and after the events of Oblivion, Mehrun's razor is broken into three different pieces and you have to go across Skyrim to find them. And then he takes you to Mehrun's, uh Dagon's shrine in Skyrim. And um, you have to kill some Dremora. Um, and then you also have to kill the uh, museum uh, proprietor himself as a a sign that uh, you'll go along with what Dagon wants you to do and then he does restore Mehrun's razor and gives it to you so that's uh, what happens in the fourth era uh, so far we don't know when uh, Elder Scrolls 6 is going to take place yet it could take place in another part of the fourth era it could take place in the fifth era who knows so that really is all we know of what he's done so far let's talk a little bit about his artifacts so let's talk about the daedric crescent first so it's a crescent shaped blade that was created by dagon and it has the power to paralyze those it strikes and put heavy wear on their armor so apparently has a disintegrate armor spell on it also 
It's been known to create a green ball of energy, but its effects are unknown. And once there were many of these, and were used by Dagon's forces to take the Battle Spire. So that is where you see these, it's in Battle Spire. So um, when the Empire later reclaimed the ruined academy, the Crescents were gathered up and all destroyed but one. Um, unknown to the Empire, one of these unique blades remains in existence somewhere in Tramiel, although none have seen it. So let's see if I can actually get a little bit more information on this, because this is the first time hearing about this artifact. So, yeah, I think there is a picture from Battlespire. There's a picture in Marwind, actually. There's a picture from Marwind, and then there's also a picture in ESO. So apparently you can see these in ESO and Marwind. So, kind of cool. I might have to seek one of them out. Um, so there's also the Deadland Hammer, which I think I mentioned earlier. And it is linked to Marin's Dagon in the Deadlands. So in the second era, it was found in the Darkpool mine by the Claws of Dagon, which is a Khajiiti cult dedicated to Mayrunes. It's kind of like a Khajiiti version of the Mythic Dawn, I guess. So when used with the right regents, it is said to be capable of summoning Iron Atronox. And physical contact with the hammer was also reported to be uncomfortable, I can imagine. It's a freaking Warhammer. And uh, even harmful when handled for an extended period of time. So even wielding the damn thing is dangerous. So uh, let's talk about the Ground Splitters. They are a pair of Sabatons associated with it, with uh, Mayron's Dagon. Their enhancements reflect their creator's obsession with destruction. So this artifact causes the wearer's strides to be comparable to that of a giant. So it gives you long strides. I don't know how that's possible without having really long legs, but I guess it's possible. So despite the lack of significant weight um, when not worn, this is possible. So well, there you go. These uh, solvents are capable, or sorry, essentially a uh, weapon capable of turning those it kicks into paste. So that sounds really painful. On a larger scale, a forcible stomp is uh, capable of creating fissures, and it should be the bearer of, should this bearer of this artifact be careless, they can even end up a statistic in a catastrophe of their own making. <laughs> yeah. Alright, so we talked a lot about the razor. So the razor is a dagger. It's also called the Dagger of the Final Wounds and the Bane of the Righteousness, the Kingslayer. And it's a Daedric artifact created by Dagon, obviously. So basically what this, this dagger does is it gives you a chance to kill with one hit. So if you're fighting something that keeps kicking your ass, uh, switch to this and you may kill it in one hit. You may not. It may, they may kick your ass again, but it has the uh, option, or it has the chance to kill with one strike. So it is also, in appearance, it's emblazoned with the Daedric script, and it is able to drink the light that hits it. So that, yeah. Um, one other thing about the razor is that it's made of ebony. And I want to say, uh, basically, when you when you kill somebody with it, it says that another soul has been claimed by Dagon. So yeah, there's some a little notification there. 
Um, we talked a lot about the Mysterium Xerxes, and um, yeah, it, it's it was given to Mankar Cameron, but it was said to be written by Dagon himself. So, um, like I said, there's also a, there's a hidden message in the uh, it, it, it it's so this book was also used to make a portal to Mankar Cameron's Paradise, which is basically a pocket realm of oblivion. So yeah, it, the the Paradise is known as Gyer Alada, and when you are in service to Mankar Cameron and die, that is where you end up, and you're basically immortal there. Like, he, he promised that these people who serve him will become immortal, and he wasn't lying, but it wasn't paradise to them. And there are places in the there where you're tortured, but you never die. So he can torture you till the end of time. Like, you see people who are basically in these cages, and they're submerged in lava, and you can hear them screaming, but they never die. So that doesn't sound like paradise to me. But it talks here about how uh, your character in Oblivion, the hero of Kavach, worked with Martin to create another, like an alternate portal to Gyarlada. So that's how you go take on Mankar Cameron. Here's another one that I talked about, the Spear of Bitter Mercy. It's an artifact that is an enigma to the Tamarillians, but many believe it to be one of um, Daedric origin, obviously, despite a lacuna of recorded history. So there are multiple Spears of Bitter Mercy that may or may not exist. And it has also become the signature weapon of Hircine, who um, had become a Daedric Prince that is most closely associated with the Spear. So I, I have talked about this in the Hircine episode. But um, Dagon imbued the Spear uh, with his power for use in the Ritual of the Innocent Quarry. So this enhancement consists of powerful and maleficent energies uh, capable of instantly killing all but the High Daedra Lords. So it's forbidden to be removed from the side of the Great Hunt and cannot be wielded by any mortals or immortals, um, except those who are sanctified to hunt and bound to its rules. So, yeah, like I said, I talked about that in the uh, Hearsene episode also. So let's talk about the Sword of the Moon Raver. Um, it's also known as the Broadsword of the Moon Reaver. It is a broadsword created by Dagon um, from his own substance, which sounds very fun. It's believed that no other weapon is capable of harming Dagon. Uh, during Dagon's invasion of the Battle Spire during the Imperial uh, Similaricum, the sword was in the possession of his dark seducer bodyguard and paramour. Um, an apprentice took this sword from her and used it to banish the prince of his own realm. Or from his own realm, resulting in the destruction of the Battle Spire. That would be your character in Battle Spire. You're an apprentice. So, um, yeah, that's it as far as uh, artifacts of Miran's Dagon. Let's talk about the Deadlands themselves. So, basically, the Deadlands are hell. <laughs> There's no other way to get around it. Uh, the skies are red and 
you're, it's full of lava. Everything there can hurt you. Um, even the fauna, or sorry, not the fauna, but well, yes, obviously the fauna. It's filled with scamps and um, clan fears and dramora. Um, but no, the fauna, or the, not the fauna, I keep saying fauna, the flora there, like there's plants that'll release toxins in the air. There are um, roots that'll, like harata, uh, that'll lash out at you. Um, yeah, the realm was covered by oceans of lava, um, scorched volcanic islands, and, and just bunch of different towers that look really menacing so it's it's not fun um well i mean it, it is if you know if you know what you're doing and you know how to run around there you're there a lot in the game oblivion so yeah all these portals pop up in uh cyrodiil and you enter these portals and go into the Deadlands, and then you search for the Sigil Stone to close the portal down. So yeah, you're you're there a lot in the game of Oblivion, but yeah, basically picture hell, and that is what the Deadlands are like. Yeah, and it's it's full of corpses too. Um, like you'll see people hanging from these towers. You'll see skeletal remains all over the place. Yeah, it's it's not fun. Um, I wouldn't want to go there in real life. So, um, in his uh, pockets of oblivion, there are watchers, um, which are his servants. So, um, watchers basically look like the like mini uh, Hermes Moras, uh, kind of. They're just tentacles with eyes. Um, and also, like I said, there's Dramora. Um, that serve him so there are ranks among the dramora there's the valkanaz uh, there are valkan and there are markin m-i-r-k-y-n um, different clans of servants there's um, he also has uh daedroth that'll serve him clan fears uh zivali which uh zivali are here let me let me bring up what this a little bit about the Zavali here. Also, I think I was mispronouncing that word. It's uh, Zivili. So Zivili are highly intelligent Daedra that look like tall, muscular, blue-gray skinned warriors with piercing yellow eyes. Um, They're similar in many ways to their um, fellow uh, most human. Uh, yeah, they, they kind of look like giant blue-skinned human Daedra or Dramora. Um, giant, they basically, yeah, look like giant Dramora, but they are a different breed here. So, um, as far as their personality and temperament, they are of greater power and disdain. Uh, they disdain subordination, um, being liable to disloyalty and betrayal when they feel like they have not been treated well. Uh, and they are most commonly seen in the service of uh, Dagon or Molag Ball. They often wield two-handed weapons and cast a variety of spells, including uh, one to summon Lesser Daedra. So, yeah, there's a little bit more about Zivali uh, here, but I'm going to leave it at that. So, yeah, because we've been running long here. There's another realm 
that uh, is attributed to Dagon. It is known as the Chimera of Desolation. Um, it's another small pocket of oblivion. And it's... Uh, so, it was once a, an island uh, that was north... Uh, sorry, off the coast of Northmore or Glenumbra, um, which is the High Rock area. The entire island was cast into the void... Um, as an act of revenge against Chimera Gregan, which I mentioned earlier. And um, there are some... It, it Basically, you go there in Battle Spire. So... Alright. That really is it as far as Dagon. As far as the article here. Like I said, it is a lot. Like this hour... This uh, episode has been going on for over an hour and a half now. So... Yeah, that really is it as far as Dagon goes. Next episode, we will be talking about Mafala. So, yeah, um, Mafala, she's fun, right? Big, giant, spider-looking Daedra. Yeah, um, so yeah, I guess I didn't really talk about Moab or about Mamorin's Dagon's appearance. He's basically a big, giant red guy with forearms and horns and uh usually yeah he, he's scary looking so um i'm sure you've seen the post i or the picture i put on social media that is actually some screenshots from this local or local um recent trailer for the deadlands dlc there are some really great shots of dagon in that so Anyway, I'm going to get out of here. I'd like to thank The Hive, as always, for sponsoring this show. And if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. My personal page is iangold08, and the show's page is P. You can find me on Discord. I'm always on Discord at Sulior. And you can find me on TikTok at Sulior. You can find me sometimes on Twitch at Sulior and yeah um I was on a recent episode of the Fallout feed their Halloween episode and I was talking about the different terminal entries that you can find in West Tech in Fallout 76 that was good definitely check them out there in front of the show um also check out Taste from the Waste which is the show I do with KDB on Fallout lore um I mentioned Nintendo earlier definitely check out that recent episode um on the uh the game skyward sword which i've been playing um i talked about that on nintendo and yeah like i said i did a skit on that show um that episode in particular the skyward sword episode that was fun and yeah um definitely support the hive um as i mentioned he sponsors the show but support them during extra life uh, this coming weekend if um, you haven't already definitely donate to Extra Life it is a great cause and yeah, just I can't say enough good things about Extra Life and also Fallout for Hope which is taking place soon and yeah uh, like I said next episode we're going to be talking about Mafala and until then stay safe adventurers